All right, let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, please. Exodus chapter 20. While you're turning there, I want to read a very important section of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm very grateful for everything that comes down from heaven, everything that God gives His people, everything that He gave to the Israeli people, the Hebrew people, and everything that He gives to the church. God loves Israel in a very special way. They are His chosen nation above all nations of the world. And that's true to this very day. And God loves His church. And God has, He used the Hebrew people of ancient times to show us of these modern times the kind of God that He is. You can't read the Old Testament without learning something about God and that He is a holy God, that He's an omniscient God, an omnipotent God, and an omnipresent God. He knows everything. He is all-powerful. And He is in all places at once. He covers the entirety of His universe. And His eye is upon everything that He hath made. He is the one who created it all. He is the one who keeps it going. And uh, He watches it. And He makes certain that all the cogs on the wheels are meeting together exactly right and everything is timed according to His will, His purpose, and His plan. He's not haphazard in anything that He does. Everything He does, He does it on purpose. There are no accidents in the economy of God. God acts deliberately. And He, whatever the result of it is, is a deliberate result. God cannot make mistakes. He is perfect in all of His ways. He is perfect in all of His being. He is the Creator of all, which means that He owns all. But because He is the Creator of all men, He is not the Father of all men. Now, people come out many years ago with a saying, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man as if we are all children of God. But that is not the case. And Jesus tells us that that is not the case. He told the Pharisees on one occasion, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. That's the reason you live like you live and act like you act. That's the reason you're so full of pride. Lucifer is the first one first being that we see that was full of pride, a celestial creature, a cherubim, a member of that particular part of the celestial creatures at the time. But he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I'm going to sit in the congregation uh, uh, in the sides of the north. I'll occupy God's throne. I will be God. And Isaiah the prophet said, yet he is to be cast down to hell. Now, now I know he was speaking of a worldly leader in the context, but I think that it's also very applicable 
to Lucifer himself. But there are a lot of religious people like the Pharisees who thinks God is their father. But God, we, we are not children of one that we do not love. And, and if we are not obeying God, that gives evidence that we don't love God. I told somebody just a couple of weeks ago, I said, your problem is you hate God. He said, I don't hate Him, I'm just mad at Him. I said, well, uh, it comes out because you're refusing to obey Him. You're refusing to bow to His sovereignty and His rule. That's the way you have to talk to people. You've got to be up front with them. Otherwise, the devil's just going to smother them with kisses and they're going to think that they're doing everything just exactly right. But they need to understand anything they are doing that is contrary to the will of God is sin. It is sin. It is trespassing. Moving on to ground that does not belong to us. Trying to exercise your own self as God by making your own rules and doing your own thing. That's trespassing. You're trespassing over into territory that don't belong to you. Because uh, the sovereignty is not ours. And uh, to make the rules is not ours to do. This is something that God Himself does. And it's extremely important that we learn them. And I'm saying all this because of the direction that we are now going in our study now in Exodus chapter 20 concerning the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments came down from God out of heaven for the Hebrew people. And God gave it to them for a number of reasons, as we shall see. And I think one of the outstanding reasons that He gave them to the people of, of Israel is because God wanted those people to know the kind of God that He is. I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand who I am. So I'm going to give you this to do because this is me. This is my character. This describes me. I want you to do certain things and I don't want you to do other things. It is a list. It is God's list of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. And the reason I say that, he says, is because I'm a jealous God. I want you to understand me. I want you to know me. I, I'm not insanely jealous like a lot of people are. I'm not insane. I, I haven't lost my mind. But rather, I am reasonably jealous. And I'm jealous because... I am the only true and living God. And this world has many gods, but I want them to know that I'm the only true and living God. Everything else that the world has, they're just sticks and stones and altars and shrines. They have no mind. They have no feelings. They have no abilities. They cannot do anything because they are no thing. They are nothing. They're absolutely nothing. They do not have life. I am a God with life. I am alive and have been alive for all eternity. And the only reason you live is because I give you the breath to live and the heart to beat. And I'm the one who keeps you going. And when I'm ready to take you out of this world, I hold back your breath. I won't let you have an inhale another breath. I'll take it from you. I'll stop your heart. 
I'll, I'll silence your heart. I will bring you into a dead silence and you will be unable to move. You will not be able to think. Your brain activity will stop. I am the one. I hold the keys of life. I hold the keys of death. I hold the keys of hell. And I hold the keys of heaven. Nobody can get in heaven without my permission. And I only permit those who have received my only begotten Son and the wonderful, sufficient, perfect work that He accomplished Himself when He condescended into this world to stand for the people of God, for those who would believe in Him, so that they would not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus accomplished that for us. Now this is God. We're surrounded by all kinds of religions. We're surrounded by all kinds of opinions as to the kind of God that God is. We even have people who have the opinions that there are many gods. We have people that have the opinions like Miss Oprah who says there are many roads to heaven. Not just one. And, and if you, if you people say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you're prejudiced and you're biased. Well, I'm as prejudiced and biased as God is then. Because God says there is only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. Didn't say I'm a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now Jesus said that, and I believe what he said. There's no other name that can be given up among, uh, under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. No other name but that one. Now, if that's prejudicialism, then I'm prejudiced. But I'll tell you what it is. It's truth. It is truth. And we're going to have to combat all of this stuff. That we're up against this. The, these false gods and false religions and the like are not to be commended. And they are not to be worked together with. Let's all get together. We all love God. And, and in, you may call Him a different name, but it's all the same God. That's as much hogwash as, as, I, as I know. There's not a look of truth to that. It's not all the same God. The only real God is the one we read about in our Bible. This book is an autobiography. God speaking of Himself and declaring Himself. And when He told the children of Israel, this is what I want you to do because this is what I am. This is who I am. And who I am is who I will forever be. And so he gives to the Hebrew people what we understand to be his moral laws. He also gave them, in addition to that, dietary laws, civil laws, sacrificial laws. God gave other laws. And the one who gave the law, he can, he can stop that from being the law anytime he wants to. And, and he does that without violating anything because God is above and beyond 
all laws. He's the great law maker. He is not a law breaker. And he wants you and I not to be law breakers. He wants us to live under his rules and regulations for us. Show this world what a Christian is by not having any other gods before you. Show this world what a Christian is by not carving out any kind of images of God. Show this world what a Christian is by not profaning the name of the Lord. And right on down the line till the 17th verse of chapter, uh, of chapter uh, 20 of Exodus, where he said, Thou shalt not covet. Show, show this world what Christianity is by obeying these truths. Now, if God don't ever change, if His nature is always the same, then what He is, is expressing in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, they, they never change. It's the same. And I'm satisfied by the repeat of it in the New Testament and other things that are said in the New Testament. And even, even Jesus preaching those commandments and telling people, His disciples, what they really meant in that Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Read it for yourself. He said, you have heard this, he said, but I say unto you. He said, it don't stop with just that note there, just that statement. He said, let me tell you what I meant by that statement. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery. The New Testament preacher, the greatest preacher that ever walked on this planet, preached that. He said, let me tell you what I meant by that. I'm not just talking about a physical act of adultery. He said, but if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And he said, that's, he said, it's just as wicked, it's as ungodly, and I hate that. Why do you hate that, Lord? Because it's against my nature. It violates my will. And it, it, it insults me to see, to see my creation engaged in such abominable filth. And I despise that. And I especially despise it if I see it in the house of God. Because you call yourself Christian. You're identifying yourself with me. He said, don't drag my name through the mud. You call yourself Christian? Where does that word come from? It, it, it's Christ. It means Christ-like. It means we have we now center our lives around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we now live willingly under His Lordship to walk in obedience to Him. We, we, we are saying by our lives we love Him because we're trying to keep His commandments. He said, if you love me, John 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And by that, you're showing that you love me. You have evidence that you love me. But if all you're ever doing is hobnobbing around with the world and running with the world and, and telling their filthy jokes and, and laughing and being entertained by such filth and ungodliness, then, uh, then you're not showing them what Christianity looks like. You're showing them what hypocrisy looks like. And God despises that. I believe God still cares about the way we live. 
Now, if, if a lot of guys says, well, you can't help it, got to sin a little bit every day, you know. I tell you, we'd better take a stand against that kind of preaching and opinions and that kind. We've got to take a stand. I believe that it is very possible. I know we don't love the Lord our God the way we ought to. We never do. I understand that. I understand there's a lot of room for improvement in me. A great deal of improvement. So much that I'm embarrassed by it and ashamed of it. When I enter into the presence of God to pray, I have to come into His presence with my head down because I'm ashamed and I realize I have sin to confess and I have sin to repent of. You don't have to wait till you have a cussing spell to commit sin or till you do look on a woman to lust after her or till you do steal something or kill somebody. There's more sin to it than that. We've got to where we, we major and minor on things. And we usually major on the, on the uh, easiest things and minor on the hardest part. And, and, and we call what we, well, let me call it this, we call our darling lust really not something that's not so bad. We can be extremely critical of sodomy, homosexuality, lesbianism. We can be extremely uh, against adultery and fornication and all kind of stuff and never ever see, always overlook or take so very lightly that sin of covetousness that's in us which in itself, Paul says a couple of times in his epistles, that covetousness is idolatry. Amen. We, put it, we, we wind up taking those things that we just got to have and putting that in our money or whatever between us and the true and living God. I said every bit of that because it expresses what we've got to do as a people of God. Let me read this right right quickly to you. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us what God has given to the churches. This is God's love gifts to the church. Verse 11, And He, that is God, gave, He gave some apostles, and He gave some prophets. God gave them. He gave, he gave prophets to Israel back in the day because they didn't have the completed written Word of God. And so they needed men who were gifted by God to tell the people what the will of God is before they had the will of God written down in the Bible. Now we've got God's will in recorded in Scripture. You want to know the will of God for yourself? Get in the Bible. And God can tell you what His will for you is as you read and study and take the Scriptures, not out of context, but in context, you'll get what God wants for your life. Some of those statements are crystal clear. God's will for us is our sanctification. He tells us that clearly in a clear, open statement in the Scriptures. My will for you is, is sanctification. God wants us to be 
sanctified, to be a sacred people, to be a sacred people. Uh, years ago at a certain place of business, when they changed leadership at this place of business, uh, the new man came in and he asked one of the old leaders who was still there, he said, I need to know, you know, we need to make some changes in this company. And I need to know, are there any sacred cows in the pasture? I didn't, I wouldn't have known what he meant. I was just a young man at the time, just a kid. But that other company leader knew what he was talking about. Are there any sacred cows in the pasture? In other words, is there anybody in here that is so, so favored by the owner of this company that we couldn't get rid of him? And my understanding is that leader of that company said, there are none. In other words, if you see somebody that you think is hindering the progress of this company, we'll fire them. We'll get rid of them. Sacred cows. Listen, folks, God wants His people to be sacred. He, we are special to Him. He wants what is best for us, so He gives us what is best for us. And He wants us to desire what is best for us so that we will seek Him because that's the only place we're going to find what is best for us. In the Old Testament, when they didn't have a completed Bible, God gave them prophets who could prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord. Because God spoke to them. And God said, Moses, you speak to Israel for me. You will be the mediator, the go-between. And I will tell you what to tell them. And so Moses acted as a prophet. And he spoke the will of God to the people of Israel. And in that giving of those Ten Commandments in chapter 20, it is God speaking to them, this is what I want for, for you. This is the behavior I expect and I require of you. And if you disobey this behavior, there are consequences. If you disobey these, these commandments, there are consequences to that. You're breaking the law. You're violating what I have set as a standard. And you must pay the price. And some of those came with a very, very heavy price. A very, I mean, some of them, the offender would experience a capital punishment. They'd be put to death for that. I mean, a, a boy, he could, or a young person could not curse their mother and their father. Show disrespect and dis dishonor to their mother and father. Couldn't do it. Don't care how old he got. Didn't make any difference how old a son or a daughter is. Mama is still mama and daddy is still daddy. And we may not owe them a dime for raising us. They're doing their duty and they're doing it out of love. But we do owe them respect. And my Children owe me respect. And when they don't, when they don't give it, and I'll tell you, I, I become a very angry parent. And if I find out especially that they don't give it to their mother, I'm ready to fight. And I mean that. 
Any man that won't fight for his wife is not a man at all. God expects us to protect and to be a banner over our wife. And I, I remember one time years ago in LaGrange, Georgia, my dad and my mother came out of a store, one of those stores on Main Street, and there was a guy run all over my mother, run all over her. Mama went, said when she finally got in control of herself, she looked, and that man was laying out in the street. My dad had done gave him his right hook, and he was laying out in the street. And, that, and my dad said to that man, this is my wife you just run all over. Now, I don't know if the man meant to or didn't mean to. I don't know the details of it. I was a little guy. But dad always made certain that people was going to respect his wife. And he taught me that. And I, I mean, I'll tell you how I am about it. If you can't be her friend, you can't be my friend. Because we are one and the same. We're on the same page. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I won't allow anybody to disrespect her and be unruly toward her. I don't go talk to anybody else about any ills that my wife might have or anything about her that, you know, I might wish was different or something was wrong with her. I don't go talk that to nobody else. I don't know why I'm throwing these things in, but I, that's okay. That's all right. Because I believe a husband ought to so respect his wife that as the children grow and he, they watch dad respecting his wife like he does, then the children learn to respect her as well. Sometimes the rebellion of children is because they saw it in daddy. Or they saw it in mama. Let's be honest. Let's just face the truth. In order for us to get right with God, we got to confess our sins. And uh, I even now, I have to, I look back sometimes, something comes to the, my mind that I did many, many years ago that I forgot about. Back then when I was a lost man. And immediately I, I, I say, God, I am so sorry I did such a thing. That is so wicked of me. And, and I thought so lightly of it at the time, but it sticks me like a sword now to think that I could have done such a thing and had such an attitude or whatever. You say, I'm never bothered about my past. I know the blood washed it away. I know my blood washed, washed it away too. I know the blood of Christ washed my sins away too. But listen to this. David in Psalm 51 the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah, David said, My sin is ever before me. God, I'm glad you forget it, but I can't. And I'll always remember what I did. And my remembering of that will keep me from repent, repeating it. It'll keep me from ever doing it again. Don't ever forget what kind of deep pit of rebellion God found you in. Don't ever forget that. Don't allow it to haunt you and don't allow it to take away your Christian joy because remember, just remember, God has forgiven you. 
the next best thing to innocence is forgiveness. And when we don't, when we're not innocent of something, if we're guilty of doing something, let's confess it and repent of it. But don't allow that to drown you in misery. Because God has forgiven you, go on and just use it as a learning lesson to be the person God wants you to be on this earth planet. And as Jesus told the woman, go and don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Amen. That's good, ain't it? Praise the Lord. We need to learn from these things. Why would God dissolve those Ten Commandments. He never meant those commandments to be for, to be the tool that saves anybody. He didn't mean for those, keep these commandments and, and you can live forever. Well, if you keep them all and never sin, you can. But that's not, there's no, not anybody who does that. Only one has done that. The Lord Jesus did that. He kept every commandment. He never sinned, not in word, thought, deed, in no way whatsoever. He came here perfect, and He left here perfect. At Calvary, He took our sins upon Himself. Our sins were charged to Jesus. And He paid the sin debt at Calvary. He suffered the wrath of God that we would have suffered. It was poured out on Him instead of us. And so He kept it, but we hadn't kept none of it. I violated every single one of those commandments. If you break one commandment, you've broken the whole, the whole shebang. I mean every bit of it. Because it is a unit, it is one unit of ten requirements that God gives. It's like a glass. You break the glass, the whole glass is broken. If you just make a chip out of it, you don't want to drink out of it no more. If it's cracked, it may just be in one spot. All of it may not be shattered, but it's still broken. You consider the glass broken. And so if you break one commandment, you're guilty of them all, the Scriptures tells us. And so, God didn't intend for the commandments to save us. He knew that they couldn't save us. God intended that those commandments, first of all, reveals who God is. The kind of God that He is. His character. That's the reason He sums it all up by saying, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Second, His commandments are used as a restraint. A law, the laws are given to us to be enforced and to restrain. I guarantee you, you take a man who's murdered someone and put him in the electric chair or whatever, He'll never kill nobody else again. Never do it again. And believe it or not, it will even cause another who would be a murderer to think twice before he does it. The reason the laws of our land are not being obeyed, the reason there are so many rebels against the law of our land today is because though the law is on the books, they're not being enforced. 
And instead, people are attacking the law enforcement officers verbally, burning up their automobiles, their cop cars and the like, marching against them, voting to defund them, take away their guns. I'll tell you, that's not even, that don't even rise up to common sense. That's absolute stupidity. I'd hate to think that I was that stupid. Now, some of you going probably ain't going to name me in this part, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think it's necessary, at least at this part of human history, for me to own a high-powered rifle that I can pull the trigger and a hundred or so shots in much less than a minute. I don't think that's altogether that necessary. I'm not against us owning guns. I've got them myself. What have you got them for? Well, I don't go hunting, and and I don't just go out shooting. I have in the past. I've hunted in the past, and I went to the shooting range. Susie and I used to take a three fifty seven. King Cobra Magnum to the shooting range. And I quit doing it when she started shooting better than me. <laughs> she could hit the target. And I know that that's a high-powered gun. I'm not talking about stuff like that. And I don't have one now. But I, I, I would if somebody wanted to give me one. But I'm not going to go buy one. But... uh I'm talking about these machine gun things, you know. They can go in and they can take out a lot of students in a school quickly. They could come in here and kill every one of us in less than a minute with something like that. And I, I, I just don't think it's necessary. You say, well, if it, as long as it's in the right hands. Yeah, but the problem is it's not. It's not just in the right hands. It's in the wrong hands. And I, I wish we didn't have, have such as that. I'd say the soldiers need it. I see the military needs it. But I'm, I'm not going to march for something like that. But I am, I am going to take a stand against people taking away our means of protection, those guns. I don't use them for hunting. I don't use them for shooting. I just, but I will use them for protection. If I think somebody's trying to get in my home, I'll shoot and shoot to stop them. You got to do that. And we have protection like that in our church building as well. That, that's necessary in the day and hour in which we live. Us men are required by God to protect our wives and children, the women and children. God calls upon us to do that. And we'd better do it. When God said, Thou shalt not kill, He means by that, Thou shalt do no murder, shall not kill in cold blood, premeditated murder, and the like. And abortion ought to fall under that as well. That premeditated murder. Thou shalt not kill. But he also tells us that when it comes to killing the uh, 
they who fail to obey the law and have committed a capital offense, God said, I ordain the government. And they don't bear the sword in vain because I've told them what I want them to do. Now, there have been governmental officials who's tried to fight against capital punishment down through the years, and all that does is make people more daring to go out and commit their crimes. I don't know. Sometimes I think probably about the best thing to do is when somebody has committed such a crime, and they've done what they've done to babies, and they've done what they've done to young girls and the like, when they commit such a crime, I would think, Maybe give them 40 days to set the house in order or an opportunity to or their family to get ready or whatever and then take them on down. Let them walk that green mile. Amen. That's not being unloving. That's being loving. I love children. That's the reason I hate abortion. Amen. That's common sense, isn't it? God didn't tell us not to have common sense. He just said, make certain that what we think does not conflict with what God says. That's the way it is. And so laws are given for restraints. We're already seeing what letting up on the law does. What if they just finally said, take away all law? Just take all law away. We'd have if we ever got out of the house, we'd have to wear guns like they used to. People are not just going to voluntarily do the right thing. Not if they see that doing the right thing is going to hinder what they are wanting in their own life. And so it's done. It's done to restrain people, and thereby it's done to to protect people, decent people. And the law, again, was given so that you and I can be living testimonies to this world of godliness, holiness, Christianity. Do this, God said to the Hebrew people. Do this out yonder among, let the pagan nations see you living this way. Don't compromise with them. When they call you in there and say, intermarry with us. And if you intermarry with us, then you know what's going to happen? You're going to have their gods and your God. And your God's not going to go well with their gods. It's just not going to fit together. That's called religious syncretism. And it's all going to be mixed together. Just like mixing up a big pot of homemade vegetable soup with the potatoes and the, and the beans and the carrots and the meat, stew beef, whatever. Mix it all up together and then go out with your pitcher and hold it under your bulldog's mouth and let all of that spit and all that streamed out through there just drop over in that pitcher or out there where the cows are and all that saliva drop down, get all of that and go in there and pour that over in it and stir it all up. No, no. Before putting all that in there, I would love that. I love vegetable soup. I love it. And cornbread. I don't put mayonnaise in that. 
But I do love that. But I wouldn't want it with all that other junk in there, would you? I'll read this and quit. I thought I was going to read it first. We read, and God gave some apostles. He don't give them anymore. The apostolic ministry is done. He gave some prophets. He don't give them anymore. The prophetical ministry is done. He gave some evangelists. Yes, we still are people of evangelism. He gave some pastors and teachers. We are still pastors and teachers. And by the way, the word pastors and teachers go together. If you, if you can't teach, you can't pastor. You gotta be able to do both. One of the qualifications of a pastor or a bishop is that he be apt to teach. He's got to have the gift of teaching. And here, here's the reason for it. Look at verse 12. God gave these for the perfecting of the saints, for the equipping of the saints, to teach them truth, for the work of the ministry. This is what we are to be involved in as God's called servants. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And how long is this to last? Verse 13. Till we all come in unity of the faith. Everybody on the same page with God. Holy Ghost. We learn the Scriptures. I don't want to come to this pulpit and preach one thing and other preachers come to this pulpit and preach something completely contrary to that. We've got to come together. Otherwise, we're going to have confusion, not unity. Till we all come in the unit, and I don't, I'm not talking about minor things. We can differ on some of the minor things, and that's fine. But you understand what I'm saying. There are some truths that can really destroy people, or some false doctrine that can really destroy people if we, if we don't come across the pulpit with, as uh, Brother McGuire used to say, 16 ounces to the pound on truth. Verse 13, we teach till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To me, I think it is a very major issue when it comes to preachers denying that there is a place in the church for the Ten Commandments. I believe that there is, and I've got friends in the ministry that I love dearly that don't agree with me on this, but I can't help it. One reason God got me away from many other men back years ago when I started out as a young man was so God Himself could teach me some things and I wouldn't just be preaching what I heard them say. God wants me to walk in light that He gives me. I didn't know that as a young person. I was an infant in the ministry. I didn't know nothing except what I heard of these men. And I had much confidence in these men and so as far as I was concerned, that's the way it was and so I would preach what they would preach. But then God got me alone and began to teach me. And if you, if people ask me, have you changed any of your preaching over the years? I have to say, yes, I have. 
How could I have grown and not made changes? I didn't start out exactly right. When the when Saul of Tarsus was saved, he did not go directly to Jerusalem to confer with the other apostles. No, God took him away from there and shut him up for two or three years along with him so God could teach him and train him and show him. It's not that even now I can't learn from other men. I can. But I can also weigh what they are saying with what I have been studying and finding in the Scriptures for myself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. That's the right thing to do. Because even good men can be wrong. And I believe that's a very serious matter to just throw the Ten Commandments away when it tells us who our God is, the kind of God. This is His nature on display. And it is a part, it should be a part of our preaching. And so, yes, the other laws that God gave, particularly to the Hebrew people of ancient times, they are now done. They've been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Himself. He completed that. He didn't come to do away with the law of Moses. He came to fulfill it. And He did. That was part of His living, the life of perfection. He kept every commandment. He did everything the Father wanted Him to do. And the Father spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When our Lord gave His life upon the cross, things began to change. But I, they, didn't, they didn't boot the Ten Commandments off. They're still orderly. They're still right. Matter of fact, any laws that are made today if they are built similar to those foundational laws that were given back on Mount Sinai, then they're going to be good. And they're going, they're, they're going to benefit us greatly. I close with this. Charles Spurgeon, he believed what I do, what I believe about it. Here's what Brother Spurgeon said. He said the Ten Commandments are ten mules pulling ten plows to break up the hard ground of the sinner's heart before the seed of gospel truth can be planted in it. Let the plow down deep. Let it pull up the roots, the big rocks, and everything that is going to hinder the seed of the gospel message. Father, thank You for the law of God. Thank You, Father, for the repeat of much of it in the New Testament. There's a change with the Sabbath, but that's it. Father, I understand that, Lord, we are to be a people who submit ourselves humbly to truth and to follow after that. And I'm grateful for men that I have heard take one of those commandments and preach it like Brother Bob Doom and others. I heard him preach out of Exodus 20, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's where he took his text and that's where he preached the message. And he preached truth. 
And I believe, Father, that these are, this is still truth. It is truth. This is who you are. This is what you command. And Lord, I pray that you'll help our church family to always stand for this great truth listed in these Ten Commandments. God bless our church. God revive our church. God come in power upon our church. And may our last days here be our greatest days. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen.